facts, candid conversations, and some levity to lighten your day. This is The Kale Clark Show on Relevant Radio. Welcome, welcome to The Kale Clark Show. Hello, it is Brooke Taylor here in for Kale. Is it possible to keep kids Catholic in college? That's a big question, and it's one that hopefully we can answer this hour with our guest right now in Lisbon, Portugal. Estimates are about 1 million young adults gathering for World Youth Day. We just heard a wonderful recap there with Mary Graham in the news. And Catholic News Agency actually has a breakdown of demographics. And according to their data, four out of 10 of those in attendance at World Youth Day in Lisbon right now are between 18 and 25 years old. 82% have higher education, six out of 10 have a job, and just over a third are students. So for those in that 18 to 25 age bracket specifically, you think about all the huge life decisions coming at you. Where is God leading in terms of career path, vocation, religious life, or married, for example? And the biggest decision of your life, that commitment to either go deeper and practice your faith or leave it behind. And I say leave it behind because when you look at statistics on college campuses, according to Focus Missionaries, 90% of students at that demographic are choosing, at least for that time, to walk away from their faith. So there's a lot of work to do. And And it calls to mind, too, just to remember to cover our young people in prayer, that's for sure, just for docility of spirit, that they may be open and responsive to God's will as well as for protection. But what happens when they're not open and responsive to God's will and if they decide to reject the truth, beauty, and goodness of the faith? That is just one of the touch points of my conversation with Father Joseph Tuscan. He is the chaplain, one of the chaplains for for FOCUS, which stands for Fellowship of Catholic University Students, and they are missionaries on campuses across the country. And so he will be with us shortly on the program to talk about that and some ways that parents, we might be able to pray and support the faith of our college-bound kids. And before we bring him on, I wanted to share a portion of an article with you that I just keep thinking about. It's so good. I hope you think it's good, too, because it's one of those that uh, I, I think it just kind of lodges in your heart in a good way. And it relates to this topic, too, and really the culture as a whole. On the show yesterday, I referenced a reflection by Maria Von Trapp. And of course, she is the real life Catholic wife and mom from The Sound of Music. And the experience of feeling like a tree uprooted because they were refugees. And so she, in this meditation, was talking about feeling as though she was an oak tree uprooted from the soil and then replanted here in the United States where they ended up you know, moving. And Pope Francis uses this reference as well, specifically when speaking to young people, he says, if young people don't have the roots they received, their families, country, history, then young people cannot become mature. And that's the reality. We have been colonized by the culture and not the culture of life or Catholic identity in every case, but rather the culture of the age, and it has uprooted us. And so that is where this article comes in that I wanted to share with you. It's written by Catholic convert and author Jason Craig. He is also the executive director of Fraternus, which is a Catholic brotherhood. It focuses on mentoring fathers and sons. was hoping to get him on. It's his anniversary, but he has been on with us before sharing his story 
Also talking about St. Joseph's Farm, he's the founder of that apostolate as well. So this article is called The Day the Music Died, Considering Folk Ways as Catholic Life. So we're going to zero in on just one example of this idea of being uprooted, and that is in what has become of our modern music. And you might already know this, like, well, yeah, that's nothing new, but listen to how he makes the correlation of how things have dissolved. And then I think we start to connect the dots to everything else that we're seeing around us as well. So he talks about how in the last century, and I'm reading from the article now, he says, the very purpose of what we now call record companies was not to sell music, but to sell the tools to make music. Their business was selling sheet music so that families and communities would buy it to play together. Sales of records between 1900 and 1909 increased from 4 million to 30 million units, but this was still a tiny part of the music industry. Sheet music dominated for decades longer because, of course, we would make music in our homes or in our parishes, and that's how it was meant to be enjoyed. But then he talks about how then the rise of the record and business comes in, right? Not that there's anything wrong with that, but the idea of consuming so that we don't even have to make our own music. We can just put on a record and it's an enjoyable experience whenever we want to listen to it without having to make it ourselves, let alone getting other people together to make music. So then he talks about after we gain the power and choice of purchasing music, the nature of sharing music changed. Now, instead of people gathering As we gather, we now just watch as fans of genres and bands. And at home, those that still played music would move from the shared place of the French porch or in the, you know, the the gathering room where you would play music to the garage. We all remember the garage band. And I don't know, was, was that 60s, 70s, 80s maybe? Young musicians wanted to be stars and show their music in concerts, not fathers to share it in folk ways, but the teens. And now the garage band, of course, has also slipped away. And he goes on to say at least garage bands shared something. But today, the music isn't even shared in a room of people because earbuds have made absolute individuality of it all. He said, imagine trying to explain to someone that lived before our technological age that there will be a time when individuals can be together listening to different music all at the same time in the same room without hearing the music of the other. We can have music without it being in the air and we take it for granted. Now, I am not here to rebuke anyone because I always have my AirPods. I'm actually listening to relevant radio most of the day when I'm doing the laundry or um, I'm in the sink and or, you know washing the dishes and the kids are at school but it's just the idea of thought just to consider how things have changed and even he talks about the quality of music so there was a research done spanish researchers surveyed the music produced between 1955 and 2010 and found that as the industry grows and consolidates in music the quality and diversity of the music declines John Henshin describes the results at Intellectual Takeout. It's a website. The results of the study reveal that timbral variety went down over time, meaning songs are becoming more homogenous. Translation, most pop music now sounds the same. Timbral quality peaked in the 60s and has since dropped steadily with less diversity of instruments and recording techniques. Today's pop music is largely the same with a combination of keyboard, drum machine, and computer software greatly diminishing creativity and originality. 
as a family, we read this article. Uh, my husband and I, we do bonfires and sometimes we'll read poetry or we read this. And my one son really took issue with this. And he said, I disagree. The technical aspect of music has increased and, and it's amazing when you look at it. And so it's a good thing to think about. But basically what they're saying is even songwriters, most of the songs are written today that have popular acclaim by the same songwriters and that there's not much diversity in when you look at a composition of a symphony, for example. And he, they also talk about country music is very formulaic. Lovers of country music, for example, might know from the archives that we would call music from Texas, Louisiana, and South Carolina, all country, but the differences were profound. Today, it's hard to tell one song from the next, he asserts. Girls, trucks, and whiskey seem to be the words that sell, perhaps more nauseating. He goes on then to talk about Christian music, which was hard because I came from a Christian music format. So, But the point of it is... Kind of like when you look at what we see in our our food, that the quality of it, so much of it is processed now. We don't grow our own food as much or take the time to make it. And so these pathways of learning how it's done, appreciating, and, and really putting the work into it kind of goes down, almost like empty calories of the things that we eat. So what is the answer to that? And in the end... Basically, it's the idea of not forgetting where we came from, going back to our roots, and to become producers again, knowing how to do things. Again, going back to music, uh, I'll just finish with this. He says that, I recall hearing a group of Americans travel through Mexico, finding themselves sitting around a fire with some villagers who were joyfully singing through their folk songs. When they finished, they asked the Americans to sing the songs of their land, They had none, so they sang My Girl. Like industrial canning of food led to my family losing the communal culture of canning, so too the canning of music led to no longer having folk music because we let someone make the music for us. And so basically it's the idea of that when you look at the culture, and it seems to be across the board again from there's less emphasis on making our own, making our own meals or our own music. After we read this, my my other son went out and he actually said, you know what, I have really been wanting to play the violin. So he got a used violin, not that we're all of a sudden going to be, you know, amazing musicians, but it's the invitation just to consider. And Jim, I wanted to pull producer Jim in on this as well. When you kind of look around, um, I guess at our culture, does that make sense? Does that ring true in any way for you? Yeah, I think it does. It does. And I think, too, that, you know, what's important about this is that just the idea of we have to transmit, just as we, you know, you're seeing now generations that might not have the understanding of natural law or moral law, that the collective memory should be protected and passed on. And that's important for us as parents to transmit and salvation history. And we're seeing now generations of kids that might not even have that foundation as well. So just something to consider. And whether it's social media or some other counterfeit ideology or religion, it's just like consuming empty calories. And it leaves us sick and unhappy afterward. And I think it's hard in our time because where do you draw the line? We can't make our own clothes or, you know, there there is a bit of, of consumption and you want to support 
um, the creative artists who are doing things that are making good Catholic music or like when we've talked about um, the, the new Jim Caviezel movie, for example, and doing good things. But I also think it's the idea of reclaiming our language, the language of the Catholic culture, the beauty of our church and literature and writing. And so that's going to connect us back to the roots. And that really brings us into our guest today. And Jim, I also wanted to ask, do we have Father Tuscan because he's not on yet? Okay, we're still trying to get Father Joseph because he's actually on retreat with the uh, the Focus missionaries in Colorado right now. And um, I want to take Don while he's on the line, though. And if you have a question about this topic, about sending our kids to school, keeping our kids Catholic um, as they go off to university, and your insight on that, one 914 is the number to call. Don, you're with us in Illinois. Welcome to the program. Thank you. Thank you. Um, I just want to say I have children that we've sent to Catholic colleges, and you should be careful where you go to which Catholic college. They don't always preach um, our faith as we, th- as we just assume they will. Uh, for example, one of the colleges um, had a requirement of a religious class, but it didn't have to be a Catholic class. You could have taken any religion you wanted. You know, for example, they even pushed at the orientation a different faith, a different religion for you to try that class to learn about a different class, which is fine, but you would think you'd want to, that's the perfect age to get someone to teach them about their own faith, yet they didn't didn't do that. And then most kids could have come out of college learning four years of a whole other faith, and you're paying all this money for Catholic education and you're not getting it. Yeah, I think, you know, and I think that's a good reminder, Don. It's unsettling and it's, it grieves your heart, but also that there is no foolproof inoculation, basically, from the moral relativism and some of the ideologies that are in these college campuses. I mean, they are filled with disciples of socialism and feminism and and gender activism and all of that. And so how does the church compete against those ideologies and keep our kids rooted, you know, just in assessing the, and I think that that's the million dollar question, right? And that's the beauty of these missionaries who are there and the prayers, of course, of you, Don, as a father and the parents who continue to lift up our children because it is the drama of the soul and that, you know, our next generation is going up against some very difficult challenges and praying that the Lord will continue to walk with them and give them grace, obedience, and an encounter with Christ, which is what I think is always so beautiful about seeing things like World Youth Day, is it is our faith activated in such a grand way. You know, so often for us, it's lived out in little ways and little conversations in, in you know, the secret of our heart. And when you're able to be in places like Lisbon and see the beauty of all these young people mobilizing, vocations come from this, and there are great graces. But I want to get Father Tuscan's take. Let's take a break and see if we can get him on the line during the break. That's our hope. We'll say a prayer for that right now as well. Father Joseph Tuscan, he is the national chaplain with the Confraternity of Christian Mothers. He's also one of the chaplains for Focus Ministry. It's Brooke Taylor in for Kale today. And at the top of the show, we talked about culture, conveniences, trying to restore our roots and our Catholic culture, which is both natural and Supernatural. We will be back with more on the program next here on Relevant Radio and the app. Stay with us.
said to his disciples, whoever wishes to come after me must deny himself, take up his cross and follow me. For whoever wishes to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. What profit would it be for one to gain the whole world and forfeit his life? That's the words of our Lord. Gospel of Matthew, chapter 16. Welcome back to the Kale Clark Show. I'm Brooke Taylor, in for Kale. And that scripture, a, a powerful anchor to hold us fast in the storm of some of the craziness that goes on on college campuses and, and throughout our whole life. But that is the life stage that we're focusing on now. And over the next hour with Father Joseph Tuscan, our guest here on the Kale Clark Show with us for the rest of the program. And our phone lines are open too for you to weigh in. Maybe you went to a great Catholic college or maybe it was not a Catholic college, but you grew in your faith. You encountered Christ and it impacted you. Would love to hear your story. Or if you have a question or a reflection, one triple eight nine one four nine one four nine on this topic. And blessed now to be joined by Father Tuscan, the National Director of the Arch Confraternity of Christian Mothers and full-time preaching ministry for the Capuchin Province of St. Augustine. Welcome to the show, Father. Hi, Brooke. How are you? Great, great. I'm glad we got you. you. Thanks for joining us. I I literally just got in from Denver with the working with the Focus College students, so uh, just got back to the friary, so. Yeah, this is good timing, and You know, I was looking, well, how did it go, first of all? Because this is what we're going to spend the next hour on, and I'm sure your heart is full with what you saw and experienced with those missionaries. You know, I've been, uh, our friars have been working with Focus since uh, Curtis Martin and Ed Shree began with them 25 years ago. And uh, Father uh, John uh, uh, was our, uh, who was our, the national spiritual director for them, uh, Father John Lager from our Mid-America provinces in Conrad, and he just retired after 30 years. But he got me involved with them about, uh, say, about five years ago. And I work with the students themselves. I also do some fundraising for the organization for the students. But, you know, uh, we know from a Pew study that was done several years ago that we lose 80% of our young people that were born and raised Catholic before the age of 21 in the United States from the practice of the faith. And a lot of that happens on college campuses. Uh, and not because people are, you know, angry necessarily, but they just drift into, uh, you know, the pursuit of their degrees and social life and different things like that. And, they, and, and there's also some other, you know, as we know, corrupting influences on the campuses. There's also in some cases some very anti-Christian, anti-Catholic, influences on some of these campuses that they get sucked into as well. But uh, with the, the focus students, uh, that it's a peer-to-peer ministry. That's how, uh, and Dr. Scott Hahn has been involved with the formation of it also since the beginning, I should say that. And But Dr. Shree and uh, Curtis Martin designed this so that it was a peer-to-peer ministry, and it's so effective that over 80% of the college students that get involved with the focus missionaries on the campus end up, you know, persevering into adulthood with their faith. Uh, there's over a thousand, uh, and it was, pro- I'm sure not planned, but uh, not surprising that um, there's over a thousand vocations to religious life and the priesthood that have come out of focus. In fact, my province, and we've been blessed with 21 young men in formation for our order from, from my province. And we just had the profession for five of our young friars, uh, their first profession, 
And one of them was a Focus missionary, and another one was a student that participated in Focus uh, missionary work on the, you know, was a, participated in their apostolates on the campuses. Oh, praise God. So, and then, you, you know, another thing that's a sort of a side thing with them is that, you know, we do a lot of training with these students because they have to, you know, be able to speak and, you know, articulate the faith and, and in a convincing way, enthusiastic way. So we bring them in for a lot of formation and retreats, a deep intellectual and spiritual formation before they get started on these campuses. But these are tremendously intelligent, uh, dedicated, generous young people who understand what's going on, and they they want to help their peers, you know, and they could be getting their college uh, graduate degrees or getting started in a career, but, you know, they have to fundraise to support themselves for what, however long some of them do it for two years, some three or four years. And they have to fundraise with their friends and relatives to support their work on these campuses, but they're incredibly effective. Um, and, uh, you know, and even though in many ways uh, it seems like a drop in the bucket, there's almost 300 campuses now being served by Focus. And uh, and they're just doing great work. They're great kids, and I think I'm old enough to call them that. Uh, and uh, But they're very uh, intelligent, and they're very generous and enthusiastic. And uh, just being with, I was with mostly the students that they work with. They, so they have this program called Summer Projects where they bring them out to, you know, a camping resort or something in this college students are offered a chance to have a summer job and earn some money. And then while they're out there working together, they, they stay together. And then we do some uh, formation, spiritual direction, uh, theological talks, uh, sacraments, of course, uh, with them. And we had priests from all over, Dominicans from the Eastern province, uh, diaspora priests from various dioceses come out and they get a lot of, uh, clerical attention, but then, you know, the student leaders also work with them and, you know, they're, they're just saving a whole generation of young people. It's really, it's really stunning. Yeah. Praise be to God. And, and focus stands for the fellowship Mm -hmm. of Catholic university students and speaking with father Joseph Tuscan, just returning from a week with the missionaries in Colorado. And a lot of people on Mm -hmm. call, you talk about the percentage of 80 upwards of 90, depending on what data you see of these young Mm -hmm. people losing their faith in, in their four years of campus. And a lot of people are living double lives. This is something that mm-hmm. struck me. Um, I had gone and was speaking at a Newman club a few years ago. And one of the ladies came up to me afterwards and was mentioning that. She said, you know, I have so many friends that say they're Catholic, but they are binge drinking or they're being promiscuous or any number of things. And she said, it doesn't even seem mm-hmm. to phase them. And so I guess, how do we reach those souls, Father? Because, you know, this is a time of, of freedom. And, and like you said, for many, it may be just a drift. You know, it's not their priority. Uh, whatever their formation was at home, we don't know. But um, just so right. that we don't kind of lose them, I guess your thought on how do we reach those souls? Yeah, I would put this in three stages. First, in terms of family formation, you know, as you said, I, I'm the national director for wonderful Catholic women's organization that began in France after the French Revolution, and the mother of the newly canonized Saint Therese of Suzelli Martin, she was canonized with her husband Louis. She was a member of this organization in its early days, 
And uh, these women came up with a wonderful programs to support each other on these very issues of form early formation, because honestly, if you wait till they go off to college, it's probably too late. So, uh, you know, the Christian Mothers, the Confraternity of Christian Mothers, we have a website, of course, in Pittsburgh. You can look that up. But um, I do want to recommend a couple of books. Uh, one that I just finished that's outstanding that's by a Norbertine father out in uh, California is named Father Sebastian Walsh. Uh, it's advertised on EWTN, but it's through published through Catholic Answers. It's called Always a Catholic. And the first half of the book is how to raise your children to remain faithful Christians and Catholics. And the second half of the book is how do you deal with them if they leave, you know? And uh, in fact, this is such an issue as I, I give, as you know, parish missions all over the country. And I ask people, you know, what is, if you could ask a priest to prepare a talk on any particular topic, what would it be? Hands down, the number one topic is always, Father, you know, my I paid for 12 years of Catholic education for my children. Nobody goes to church. I have grandchildren that aren't baptized, friends and relatives that don't practice the faith. Could we hear something about that? So I would start with this book. I would, I would highly recommend people to read this book, Always a Catholic, Father Sebastian Walsh, uh, Norbertine Oprem, is, uh, Premont's Retention is the name of the order, St. Michael's Abbey out in uh, California, and I've done... Uh, work for them at their uh, St. John, uh, John the Baptist Parish in Costa Mesa. I've preached there several times. Um, and then there's two new books out that are through um, Ave Maria Press, and uh, they, they're they called uh, What to Say and How to Say It. So this is, uh, you know, how to discuss with our friends and relatives some of the social hot-button social issues, uh, and from a faithful and convincing Catholic perspective. Uh, Brandon Vogt, V-O-G-T, is the author of these two, of this two-volume series. And um, if people are looking for some, uh, you know, practical and even concrete uh, suggestions about those things. But the primary thing is to pray. You know, I, yeah. you know, the, the talk that I, that I give on this topic is called Pray, Hope, and Don't Worry. And, of course, a quote from the great Padre Pio. And, uh, you know, the, um, the number one thing that once a child is no longer living in your home and, you know, they're on their own, uh, you know, your job then is to primarily pray and give good witness and to believe that that's not being inactive. You know, you're doing the most effective thing you can do when you pray and offer sacrifice because you're talking to the Heavenly Father and you're talking to our Lord Himself, our Blessed Mother. And, you know, you're talking to the people who can actually do something about, you know, this. So, you know, talk more to God about them than to them about God after they're 18, right? Yes, that, that and, famous advice to St. Monica, I remember, when she was, you know, right. lamenting St. Augustine, yeah. Right. And, uh, you know, uh, and don't, and don't take it personally. Don't feel like, um, that it's somehow your fault that, uh, your child or someone that you love has drifted. Uh, you know, it's, it's almost the norm in the culture for people to drift from faith. And so, uh, you know, it's a miraculous grace when, when people really come into a full faith, uh, in our current cultural situation. And, so, um, you know, pray for them. Uh, I know people worry about them, but worry, as Padre Pio said, doesn't, 
accomplish anything. And it usually, it just hurts you. It's counterproductive and you're just spinning your wheels, you know, in, in the back of the book, um, uh, the, when uh, father, uh, uh, Sebastian Walsh talks about this uh, issue. He draws a comparison from the Gospels and the, the images of the Roman centurion uh, with the daughter and then the uh, Jarius, uh, uh, the, the Roman centurion, and then the, the man with the little daughter who just, on his word, on Jesus' word, you know, the child is saved and he says, I don't need you to do any more. Just, I believe you at your word, Jesus. He said to Jesus, but you know, the centurion, uh, had hit, Jesus had to go all the way to his house and, uh, to see the girl. And, you know, he, Jairus in that, in that sense brought unnecessary suffering because of the lack of trust. And, he, and father Walsh makes that beautiful comparison that in both were healed. But unfortunately, the centurion brought an unnecessary amount of suffering on himself through worry, right? And Jesus can heal whether, you know, he's there or not, you know. And so just to deepen our trust, deepen our confidence in the Lord and, you know, and pray and give good witness, you know, offer some sacrifice to maybe fast from time to time for these people and, uh, you know, and that's uh, the most important thing. There's some, he gives practical advice about how to deal with, um, you know, friends and relatives and even children that drift from the faith. And, you know, the big question about if they get married out of the church and, uh, if they bring someone home that they're not married to, and he gives good, faithful Catholic mm-hmm. advice to all of that. Yeah, and I will make sure that we link up. I know Jim is on it to get those books in the show mm-hmm. notes so that, those that are interested are able to access that on the Kale Clark show archived show page. We'll have that up. But so we know prayer. Yes, that is bedrock foundational. Wondering too, just for ideas for parents to kind of fill the quiver of sacramental arrows too for students. And so what I mean by that is like Mm -hmm. things that you would suggest for parents to cover their children, uh, blessing their dorm room with holy water, for example, putting a miraculous Mm metal under their pillow or a scapular, obviously Mm -hmm. a Bible and a rosary. Uh, We don't want to mess around here, Father. Mm -hmm. (laughs) So we need the the weapons of the sacramentals. Um, What would you suggest there? Well, I, you know, I mean, it depends on where they are. You know, it's their room, it's your home, it's your rules, you know. But I, I think that has to be, you know, respectfully in some ways. Once people are adults and they're, and they're, and now they're, depending on you for money, they're not, they're completely independent or whatever. But I, I, you know, it depends on how you do that because, um, well, you know, if just they're, moving if they're in right resentful now. This is, this is- their first year, they're just sure. moving in right now, and they're still, you know, they're they're beginning to leave. Would it be okay to say, okay, I'm, I'm oh, going to sure. bless you with holy water, you know, sprinkle it? Well, oh, just absolutely. No, you should, okay. should, sure, that's a normal Catholic and sacramental uh, practice. And, you know, bless your children always when they come home. And, you know, if, if they're open to it and you go to their college and, you know, because it's shared often with other people too, but yeah, I'd bless those rooms and... <laughs> You know, if you put the crucifix up or sacramentals, you know, things like that. But, uh, you know, these aren't, it's not really magical like that. I think the main thing is that the the early formation is really what's going to carry them through. You know, if they have, uh, you know, a lot of times, and, you know, both of these books will talk about this. Father Sebastian goes into it in some detail. But, you know, when, when children are young, that the parent of the same sex, 
needs to have a very uh, open and affective uh, relationship with the child of the same sex. And and that trusting relationship, and then and also to love the spouse. So, a father to have an affectionate and open and loving relationship with his son, and that and a very loving relationship with his wife, because that teaches. I mean, sometimes uh, men think it's the opposite that if you're just if you're rough on boys, that they'll be more manly when they get older. And what ends up happening is the opposite sometimes. You know, discipline is important. I mean, absolutely, yeah. discipline is important. But there needs to be a, affection and uh, and good witness, you know, that, that if they see a father who himself, you know, it's clear that he, he religious practice seriously at home, you know, how is his son going to uh, do that? You know, he wants to be like his dad. So the dad needs to model what he what he what he believes, and if he if he doesn't really believe it, he's just gotta realize that he's gonna lead the children, boys and girls, uh, spiritually. Every statistic, every uh, that we've ever done on these, uh, it's the feelings of the father is has a huge impact on the religious practice of the children. The mothers have a very important, if, if the mothers are lacking in their spiritual faith, there's a huge hole in the emotional affective life of faith for the children. But the practice of the faith, it really, it's, uh, it's a lot of it has to do with the father. And, um, you know, I, you know, my father, uh, Brooke and yeah. dad, you know, every day dad was raised by in a Catholic orphanage and every day he was a football player, coach, you know, a great leader and a, you know, you know, just a very noble, holy man. And every day he gets up and he says his prayers and he always did when we were kids, you'd see dad in the front room with his prayer book and his rosary, went to mass every day, still does, you know, and, you know, just, he cared for my mother. She was bedridden the last year of her life. And, you know, he, he loved her with great devotion to the very end. And, you know, it's, it's things like that that imprint on young people that carry them through the more tumultuous years. And even if they drift along with the culture a little bit at some point, if they have that foundation, they'll come back at some point because they, they will sooner or later realize that the answers that the world is giving to the deepest longings of the human heart are not fulfilling. And, you know, that's why we're seeing this new birth of vocations in my, my order. You know, we've got all these young men. In fact, I just had six of them when I was out in Colorado. Six of them asked me for the uh, address of our vocation director to consider a vocation to our community. I mean, young people are not without generosity or an ability to respond to something that's true when they see it, you know, but it ha- there has to be a witness there. Yeah, and I remember at your ordination anniversary uh, homily just sharing the the beautiful tribute to your dad and his fidelity and how his life really was was the greatest creating catechesis and he and it continues today and you know part of of you mm-hmm. birthed your vocation and so when you talk about that and this high percentage eighty percent upwards depending on statistics of up to ninety percent of college mm-hmm. students that leave their faith. And you mentioned drift ideology, some of the different things that kind of get in there. Then it also sounds Mm -hmm. like, again, going back to the roots, we kind of started the show about that, that community. And that's why these missionaries, mentorship is so important. They know they're not alone. They're reminded of the witness and example 
of there is something more. And I also think, you know, we young people want to be challenged. And this is really challenging them intellectually, sure. spiritually, morally. I think we sometimes underestimate that we're afraid to challenge them, but really that's actually what they need. Right. And they, and, you know, it's, it's amazing when you, um, you know, uh, set the bar higher, you know, for people, because, you know, we had some excellent presentations by different speakers, uh, you know, professional theologians that come out and do some talks for the kids. And you'd, you'd be surprised how uh, intelligent and responsive they are because, you know, they're, they're studying now their faith. I mean, once they can fire for it, they just want to learn more about it. And they're intelligent. I mean, we, you know, we, we shouldn't give, just give them baby food all the time. I mean, you know, in high school, these kids are taking AP courses, advanced college courses, you know, and even in grade school, some of them are in these excelled programs. But somehow when it comes to religion, it's A, B, C, and one, two, three. You know, we, they, they, they can do it. I mean, you know, and, and, uh, and what they don't want is, you know, for to blow smoke at them, you know what I mean? Like to just talk down to them or, you know, uh, or, you know, and they don't want a worldly experience of the church. I mean, you know, they, the young people, 90% of millennials have nothing to do with religion, you know, and the, the ones that are, that are getting on fire for their faith, I call them refugees really from their generation. Yeah. Uh, they, they are reading, you know, Thomas Aquinas, and St. Augustine, St. Bonaventure. They're reading classics. They're reading uh, new, new intelligent formation material. They study the scriptures. They, they, they're be- they've benefited from some of these wonderful scripture programs like uh, Jeff Caven's Great Adventure Bible Series, and you'd be surprised how biblically competent uh, the young people that are in fire for their faith know it. And so, you know, it's somehow we feel like we have to... Uh, the, the, the faith, the, the church, the, uh, the experience of going to church more worldly, you know, and that will attract, you know, young people if we're just, if we do it in a more worldly way uh, and, you know, somehow more relevant. You know, and that's not what the young people are looking for. They're just, they're the ones that are these refugees, they're looking for truth. That's what the human heart longs for. And they can spot a fraud a mile away. You know, our millennial kids have been marketed to their whole life and they know a sales pitch when they hear it, (laughs) you know? So you, you can't really, they're, they're incredibly uh, perceptive. And if you have something substantial, they will run to it. We had a wonderful Dominican friar with us from the St. Joseph province and, and, uh, highly educated, just wonderful man, young man, just ordained a few years and uh, just very articulate about theology. And the kids just ate that up. I mean, they just ate it up, you know, and, and, and not because he was, uh, you know, in a worldly way, charismatic, but because he's an authentic, you know, priest, authentic Dominican friar and just a, a really, you know, they could see authenticity in him. And, uh, uh, and that whole province of St. Joseph is marvelous, but, but the, um, uh, you know, the, yeah, that's what they want. The young people want, want the truth. They really do. 
And when you see virtue, it just shines like a lighthouse in the darkness. And, you know, that's the beauty of, of your witness, these missionaries. Of course, we're still striving in our imperfections and also the, the power of the, the prayers of the parents and family. We're up against a break, but I want to come back with that. Father Joseph Tuscan is with us, National Director of the Arch Confraternity of Christian Mothers, full-time preaching ministry for the Capuchin Province of St. Augustine, and on retreat, just returning from Colorado with the Focus Campus Missionaries. And this has been a full hour covering the topic of keeping our kids Catholic as we open the show, covering a segment on roots and how this colonization of the culture has uprooted many from the soil of our heritage, which is Christ and our Christian faith, our church, and how things that we consume, the social media, music, entertainment, can further sever those roots and how to get back to our roots, which is a great deal of what Father Tuscan has been emphasizing as well. So if you missed it, you can catch the podcast shortly after we wrap up. Producer Jim is quite speedy with that. Thank you, Jim. And also still time for a few questions if you want to add your story or wisdom on this topic of how to keep kids Catholic in college. Reach us at one 914 9149. It's Brooke Taylor in for Kale Clark. Right back here with more on Relevant Radio and the Relevant Radio app. I pray I hope don't worry. That's what St. Pio said it. I'm calling on St. Michael. That's what Pompeo said it. Help souls of purgatory. That's what St. Gertrude did it. Welcome back to the program. It's Brooke Taylor in for Kale. This is the Kale Clark Show and Father Joseph Tuscan is here. Just returning from Colorado while on retreat with Focus Campus Missionaries. And that's what we've been talking about, keeping kids Catholic in college, God willing. And Father, you were underscoring the the power of praying parents. And I just wanted to share this beautiful, brief rosary reflection for our children. And then I want to grab Tina, who's holding. But this is advice from St. Louis de Marillac. He says, commend your children to the Immaculate Heart of Mary. And here we are in the month of August, dedicated to the Immaculate Heart of Mary. He goes on to say, when parents pray the rosary at the end of each decade, hold the rosary aloft and say to her, with these beads, Bind my children to your immaculate heart. She will Mm. attend to their souls. So beautiful and very liberating as you talked about that we entrust our children to uh, our Lord and the Blessed Virgin Mary and the saints and angels, their guardian angel. And with that, to have peace and pray, hope, don't worry. Right. Beautiful. (laughs) I want to grab Tina. She is with us from Indiana and wanted to share some input about Focus. Welcome to the show. Hi, Tina. Hi. Thank you for taking my call. I want to be as brief as possible. My three kids went through college, graduated. My heart was always, uh, like every mother, worried about them leaving the church. Um, But I always consecrated them to Our Lady. Every day, pray to Our Lady that she would cover them under her mantle that she keep them under, under her care, went to Mass as often as possible, do fasting on Fridays and Wednesdays or any day, offer up anything and everything for your children, and be at peace. My three children go to Mass every Sunday, go to take CCD, well, not CCD, they're going, one, the youngest one goes to Theology on Tap. He's very involved with Focus. He made us contributors of focus, my husband, myself, and him. He's single. He's always telling me about his parish, everything that is going on, and how excited he is. 
So I attribute wow. all of this to Our Lady to always be praying for them. And also, also very important, always saying thank you. Thank you because I know my prayers are being listened. I thank you, Lord. I thank you because you are listening and you love them more than I do, more than I could ever do. So always uh, giving mm-hmm. thanks before even seeing anything. Um, and mm-hmm. I'm so thankful to God for that. And I do encourage all mothers to pray for their children, but trust the Lord that He's sending angels. And people like focus. Mm-hmm. I love focus. Very that's good. Well, that, that's a, a beautiful commentary. And in fact, one of the last chapters in Father, in fact, the last chapter in Father Sebastian's book is Know That God Loves Your Children More Than You Do. And uh, that's exactly what uh, she said. And any moms out there like that, uh, I, you know, consider joining the Confraternity of Christian Mothers or getting a confraternity started in your parish. You know, like I say, we, you can look at our website, just Arch Confraternity of Christian Mothers, Pittsburgh. You do a search for that, you'll find it. Wonderful resources there support you in whatever stage you are, motherhood or being a grandmother or wherever you are. And uh, even women that are not uh, physical mothers that can be part of the confraternity. So uh, it's a wonderful organization. You know, St. Zelie Martin was in it. And that's what she said. There's a, the thing that the Christian mothers do every day is they have a little prayer that they say for their children. It's a little litany to various uh, saints. It's not long, but it's the one thing they do every single day. And, um, and they have a special devotion to Our Lady of Sorrows. Uh, as a patroness, and it's a wonderful organization, international organization. I'm the director for the United States and the U.S. territories, but uh, we just had a our national meeting here in Pittsburgh, uh, and we're planning another one for next July for the officers, and um, it's just on fire. These young moms and older moms and uh, grandmoms, and uh, it's just an amazing organization, uh, very vibrant, and uh, I encourage any Catholic woman that is interested to look into the confraternity. It's a great support for your vocation and for your children and husband. Thank you, Father. And I have to concur because I was blessed to enroll earlier this year, and at least for our oh. chapter, we meet on the second Friday. So this is the first Friday we meet on the second Friday of the month. And if you can't make, because you can go, I think, up to a year to be a discerning member, but that is one of the most beautiful aspects. And the fact that, again, we're going back to our roots and being able to share Mm -hmm. one of the great gifts of community. And it's not, I mean, yes, the fellowship is good, but it's really rooted in prayer and prayer for our children. And when you say those prayers every day, Mm -hmm. it's not just for your children, but it's for all the children of the whole world and of those in the confraternity and their families. That's powerful. Well, Brooke, we'd, maybe we'd love to have you come over to our uh, national gathering next year and maybe talk to the moms. What do you think about that? I'd, I'll do it. I'll be right there because you see, <laughs> you know, it's, we'll give I mean, you what a, an we'll honor. Give you. Yeah. And, and it really is a sisterhood, and we need that. We need to pray for our, our children. We just have a few minutes left, Father, but I guess as we finish up this topic here of keeping our kids Catholic in college, for your heart, what stories are you hearing that encourage you with this generation? You talked a lot powerfully about the on-fire zeal and intelligence of this generation and how they are rising to the challenge, and then they themselves are going out 
uh, some of them becoming missionary, just hearing from Tina how her kids are still involved in different areas. And so it do- it's very helpful. We have World Youth Day going on as well. Um, I guess just some final remarks about what's edifying you right now. Well, you know, the thing that just comes to mind is that the, the young people that have rediscovered their faith love the truth with generosity and courage. And, you know, the, the battle in the culture will be a, a battle won by charity. You know, it's not going to be uh, armed conflict. It's going to be that the, the, the truth will prevail. You know, um, a, a lot of the darkness started in earnest in our culture in 1973 with Roe v. Wade. And, you know, when you can take the life of a child, and it, you know, it was 100 years prior with slavery, the country had to deal with the un with the injustice of that and then you know, now the issue of course is human life and then now you know once you the truth is just whatever i want it to be uh you know it is archbishop chapu says uh, the, the the whole transgender movement it's the ultimate rebellion the rebellion against nature itself you know and uh i the truth the truth pursue the truth with generosity and courage and and uh, and the victory is going to be won in charity. Amen. And that's one of the, the many things that I love about Relevant Radio, the way the truth is transmitted and articulated mm-hmm. in charity with clarity. Right. Uh, Father, thank you so much for being with us today as we examine faith on college campuses and certainly a reminder to keep praying for our young adults. And would you, as we end up, um, leave us with your blessing, Father? Yep. The Lord bless you in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Thank you again, Father Joseph Tuscan. God bless you, and thank you for all you do. We pray for all the focused missionaries and all of our young adults going away to go to college. Once again, it's Brooke Taylor in for Kale. Always a pleasure to be with you. Special thanks to producer Jim for his dynamic skills and quick work. Trending with Timory is up next. Lord, show us your face, and we shall be saved. Until next time, God bless you.